Turn in your copy of the scriptures, if you would please, to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 4. That's where we've been spending our time throughout this sermon series. Uh, Jesus is Better is the title of our sermon series. And today we celebrate the birth of our Lord, our Savior, King Jesus. We celebrate that as a church family. And like I said, if you've been with us the past few weeks, we've been in this sermon series called Jesus is Better, which is focused in particular different sections of the book of Hebrews. And today we're going to Hebrews chapter 4 uh, and look at verse, four, at verse 14. If you're physically able, would you please stand in honor of the reading of God's word and follow along silently as I read aloud Hebrews chapter 4, beginning in verse 14. This is what the Word of God says. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who was unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. So today we are going to focus on what it means for Jesus to be our great high priest. In fact, two times in the portion of scripture that I just read, Jesus is referred to as a priest. Both times, he's called a high priest. Now, that's a term that's not unique to Jesus. The priests of ancient Israel were appointed by God to be mediators, to be a go-between uh, between him and his people. And only the high priest could offer the highest sacrifice on behalf of the people, and this he could only do once per year on the Day of Atonement uh, or Yom Kippur. But before he could offer sacrifice on behalf of the people, he first had to offer a sacrifice for himself. Why? Because he himself was a sinner. I'm sure he was a great man. hope he was a godly man. But at the end of the day, the best of men are men at best. And so the high priest also had to offer a sacrifice for his own sins before he could offer a sacrifice on behalf of the people's sins. And that's something that that would be the only time that this priest could then be that mediator between God and the people of God. But in reality, since he himself was a sinner, since he himself had to offer sacrifice for his own sins, he was not a perfect mediator. He was not a perfect priest, and it was not a perfect sacrifice. But this they did, and this he did year after year after year, as was necessary, until he could do so no longer because he like all people, would become unable to perform his priestly duties and would age and eventually die. Suffice it to say, it was never a perfect sacrifice. It was never a perfect priest. This was never a perfect system. And as we prepare to celebrate the birth of Jesus, I want to focus our time today on why Jesus was different. And by different, I mean positively different. I mean better because Jesus was a better high priest. He was, as Hebrews 4 and verse 14 says, the great high priest. I want to show you why Jesus was a better priest, the one and only great high priest. First, uh, point number one, Jesus is better because although he was born to die, he had victory 
over the grave. We see that in verse 14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. We have a great high priest who didn't have to offer sacrifices for himself simply because he wasn't a sinner. He wasn't a sinner by nature. He was never a sinner by choice. And so he was absolutely perfect in every way. So Jesus didn't have to first make sure that things were cool between him and God because things were always good between him and his heavenly father because Jesus was not a sinner. And although he died like priests before him, everybody dies, he has, look at verse 14 in Hebrews 4, passed through the heavens. He has risen. And you say, well, why are we talking about Jesus' death and resurrection? We're supposed to be focusing on Jesus' birth. This is exactly why. Because after Jesus died, he was not held captive by the grave. This is what makes him a better high priest, the great high priest. He rose from the grave, and then 40 days after that, ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, reigning as king over all. Jesus is better. Uh, The Apostle Paul talks about this in Ephesians 4 and verse 10. He who descended is the one who also ascended. So what that means is he, Jesus, who descended, who came from heaven to earth through the womb of a virgin— that's Christmas, that same God-man, that same great high priest also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Jesus is better because even though he was born to die, and die he did, he had victory over the grave. But here's something I want you to understand. Uh, In fact, of all the things that I have focused on in preparation for this sermon, even for the past several weeks, knowing that we were going to be in this text This is probably what struck me the most and what I want to share with you for you to really understand about this great high priest. Point number two, Jesus is better because he felt everything you'll ever feel and became our sympathetic Savior. He felt everything you'll ever feel and was our sympathetic Savior. When people brought their sacrifice to the high priest, that high priest didn't take time to look at the person and say, oh, wow, I know, what you're, uh, I know the sins that you're confessing. I feel that. I've been through that. I know what that's like. He just did his job, took the sacrifice, and sacrificed it as unto the Lord on behalf of the people. But there wasn't that connection between him and the people. There wasn't that, I know what you've been through. There wasn't that, my, that sounds really hard. His job was not one of compassion necessarily. His job was to mediate, to be the go-between between the person and between our great God. But Jesus is better because he is a sympathetic Savior. Verse 15 says, He is one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, that he is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. So we have a little more than a week left in 2018. Here's what I would like to ask you to think about. How was this year? So this is usually a time that just by the very nature of the time that we find ourselves in the calendar, we do a lot of reflection. We look back on the year that has passed and we look forward to the year that is coming. What about you? How was 2018? Some of you would think about 2018 and say, I can't get away from it soon enough. Bring on the new year. I would never want to repeat this year. 
Others perhaps would look back at 2018 and see it as one that's been marked with great joy. You're hoping that most years, maybe every year, was just as good as this past year was. And probably everybody else finds themselves somewhere in between. What about you? How was this year? Perhaps this year is one that was marked with love. Uh, New love in friendship or in romance or towards children, a love that you never thought you'd ever have. Uh, Maybe there's new love that you've experienced between brothers and sisters, either being reunited where they're just growing closer to siblings or perhaps brothers and sisters in Christ, experiencing the love of God and the fellowship of the believers within the family of God. You might say, when I look back on 2018, I'm struck with how much I've grown in Love, receiving love, getting love, experiencing the love of Christ, realizing that love is more than a feeling, that there's feelings that are associated with it, but that it's a choice, it's an intentionality of the heart. When you think of 2018, you might think of love. You might look back on 2018 and say this was a year marked with concern. Uh, You might be deeply concerned with your future. You might be greatly concerned with the grades that you're receiving at whatever level of school you're in. Uh, They say no job is really secure, but perhaps yours has become more insecure than you ever thought it would be. You might be concerned as you watch loved ones, friends, family members, children, siblings, parents make poor choices that you think will be costly in the long run. You may look back on 2018 as a year marked with sleepless nights and anxious mornings. 2018 might be a year of great concern. Many of you have experienced more grief in 2018 than ever before in your life. And some of that we've walked through together. I know some of you have watched both of your parents enter into eternity within the span of 12 months. I know others grieved over the death of a child in utero. Some of you have watched the death of a dream, a vision, an idea that you've had that you've been charging after, but for whatever reason, it's not going to come to pass because the chips didn't fall into place. You may be in a situation in some way, shape, or form that is reminding you of the fact that this is the end of an era. You might be uh, going into a certain stage or season of life that you weren't in before. And you might be excited to be entering into that, but you also might look back and grieve what has gone by. 2018 might be a year which is marked with significant grief. Some of you even now are fighting a lot of frustration. You're frustrated with a situation that you want to change, but you yourself can't change it. You're frustrated because someone just doesn't get it, or just won't admit it, or just won't adjust, or meet you somehow halfway. That someone doesn't see it how God sees it. Someone doesn't see it how God has written it. And despite a great expenditure of effort and prayer on your part, 2018 is ending with a great deal of frustration for you. What about you? How will 2018 go into the annals of your personal history in your mind and in your heart? 
Maybe it's something completely different that I haven't mentioned at all. Like I try to think of, I wonder, like, Lord, show me what our people might be going through. What examples can I use? You might be sitting here going, nope, nope, not it. That's not me. And that's because I don't know exactly what it's like to be you. I don't know exactly what you're going through. You might fill in that blank differently. 2018 will always be remembered as a year of, and then you would fill in the blank with a different word, a different descriptive word, a different adjective describing the time that has gone by. And you might say, this pastor who's preaching, he doesn't get it. He doesn't get it. And you'd probably be right. I don't get it. You might look at your life and say, Moreover, nobody gets it. In fact, God doesn't get it. He doesn't understand. He's in heaven. And I don't care what Belinda Carlisle says, heaven ain't a place on earth. And there's no way that a holy God, a perfect God, a righteous God could understand exactly what I'm going through right now. He's not wrestled with sin if he's always been God and is perfect in every way, perfect by nature and perfect by choice. And that's where I want to correct you from the word of God, and give you great hope. You see, that's what the Jews would have believed at the time, and that's why the writer of Hebrews writes these words. They would have believed that God couldn't share in their feelings, that he was too far removed, that he was too holy, too distant to identify with our feelings, with our temptations, with our trials and problems. And so the writer of Hebrews, look at it in Hebrews chapter 4, specifically says, He can and he does. He was tempted as we are, but didn't sin. We don't have a high priest that is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without things. Uh, Excuse me, yet without sin. Jesus felt all the things. Jesus has experienced in every way, shape, and form that which you have experienced or perhaps are experiencing. Jesus not only had all the feelings of love, of concern, of disappointment or grief and frustration that we have, but he had much greater love, infinitely more sensitive concerns, infinitely higher standards of righteousness and perfect awareness of the evil and dangers of sin. Jesus felt all the things. And there's nothing that we go through or are going through or yet will go through that he cannot understand. He is able to sympathize. Keep your finger in Hebrews 4 and turn back two chapters to Hebrews chapter 2. I want you to see what the writer of Hebrews says elsewhere. In fact, we covered this text a few weeks ago in this very same series, but I want to call your attention to two specific verses. So look to Hebrews chapter 2 and look at verse 17. Verse 17 says this, Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So there it is, once again, the Word of God telling us in verse 17 that he, Jesus, had to be made like his brothers in every respect. Why? 
so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest. Verse 18 says that he himself has suffered when tempted, and therefore he is able to help those who are being tempted. Jesus felt all the things. Jesus has suffered when he was tempted, and he did not give in to temptation, but he also was tempted. He was deeply affected and impacted by the darkness and the sin of this world, by circumstances that would befall him, by the situations he found himself in. Jesus felt all the things that you and I feel. But here's something else I'd like you to consider. Not only did Jesus experience temptation, but I would say he felt temptation to a degree that we could possibly never experience. See, most of us never know the full degree of resistible temptation because we usually succumb long before that degree is reached. But since Jesus never sinned, he took the full measure of every trial, every temptation that came to him, and he was victorious every time. That's something that none of us in here could ever relate to. Contrary, therefore, to what we might think, his divinity made his temptations and trials, watch this, immeasurably harder, immeasurably worse for him to endure than for us to endure because we would give in long before Jesus would and Jesus never gave in. So as temptation was turned up on Jesus, he never resisted. He fought it through and through. He fought it back with the truth of God's word. He resisted that temptation, whereas you and I find ourselves eventually giving in to temptation. Jesus not only felt everything that you and I felt, but Jesus experienced it to a greater degree. But I want you to see in 1 Peter chapter 5, which is not in your outline, so just turn there, 1 Peter chapter 5. I want you to see something that I think is often overlooked when we think about Jesus, when we think about the Lord, when we think about our own salvation. Look at 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning in verse 6. Verse 6 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares for you. You know, we talk a lot about the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God is a, a great comfort to us, especially when we think that the world is spinning out of control, when circumstances have come into our lives that we never saw coming, and we don't exactly know how to handle it. But we know that God does because He is in control. We know that nothing surprises God. We know that nothing's ever occurred to Him. So we love the sovereignty of God. We talk about the immutability of God, uh, the doctrine of the immutability of God, the fact that Jesus, uh, the, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they never change. You never have to wonder what mood that God is in. He loved me yesterday, but maybe he had a really rough day. He loves me a little less today. It's not the case. The Word of God tells us he's the same, what, yesterday, today, and forever. We love the deep truths of the faith. The more you study the Bible, 
The more you study the truth of Scripture and understand different doctrines, the more deeper in love you should fall with Jesus Christ. Do you know what's something that's fairly elementary that we tend to forget? That He cares. God cares for you. And that might seem obvious, it might seem really simple, but it's worth reminding ourselves that He cares. We cast our anxieties, we cast our cares on Him, as 1 Peter 5 says in verse 7. Why? Because He cares. So we do it because He's sovereign, we do it because He never changes, we do it because He's able to fix it, all that stuff. 1 Peter 5, 7 reminds us we, also, we do it just because he, he cares. He gives a care when no one gives a care. He cares when you don't give a care. We have a Savior who sympathizes with us and cares for us. And you need to know today that more than anyone in the world, Jesus, Jesus knows exactly what you've been through what you're going through right now and what you've yet to encounter. And he cares. We don't have a high priest who is aloof, who is far removed from our situation and can't relate. He's able to sympathize. He's able to care. He cares for you. Finally, Jesus is better because he's able to help us when we need him the most. That's Hebrews 4 and verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Since Jesus is our perfect high priest and knows exactly where you are, how you feel, when you're weak, and what you need, we cannot draw near to God like shaking and quaking and wondering, is he going to smite us? Does he want us really close? We just make our need known from afar, but we can draw near with confidence that he cares for us, that he loves us, that he likes us, and that he's able to help us with his mercy and grace when we find ourselves in our time of need. We don't, we don't walk up to Jesus wondering, does he want us close? We can do this with confidence. That's what the writer of Hebrews says. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. We can confidently draw near to God in our time of need because there's grace there. There's grace to help us in our time of need. And Christmas is a time to remember Hebrews 4 and verse 16, that we can receive mercy because God sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world, born to die so that we could not stay far away, but draw near when we need him most to receive mercy and find grace to help us. Hebrews 7 and verse 25 says, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. And as we close, I just want to focus you on two words in verse 16. Just two words. And those are, find grace. You see that in verse 16 where it says, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. People need to come to Jesus because he's their only rescue from death 
and judgment. That much is certainly true. Uh, we looked at that the last few weeks, that each of us has an appointment with death, right? Hebrews chapter 9. Uh, and that after that death, which will only occur once, there will be a judgment that only occurs once. And that we're all sinners and our only hope to stand in that judgment and escape hell is by drawing near to Christ. Believing his death was a sufficient payment to God for our sins. All of that is true. All of that we preach and we preach without apology. This is the truth. That Jesus is our only hope. He's our only rescue from the death that is coming to each and every one of us. But you know what? Now listen carefully to what I'm about to say so you don't think I've gone completely off the reservation because I value employment. So listen carefully to what I'm about to say because I want you to understand it and I want you to really consider it. Even if there were no hell to escape, coming to Jesus because he is better would be reason enough. Does that make sense? Even if there was no hell to escape, no judgment to escape, coming to Jesus because Jesus is better would be reason enough to draw near to him. Having peace with God and a living relationship with him is the greatest experience that you could ever have. The beauty of Jesus and his grace and his mercy and his love and care and help are all reasons enough to draw near to Christ this Christmas, every Christmas, and every day. And so Jesus offers us more than just rescue. And I'm going so far as to say this, that even if rescue wasn't necessary, even if certain hell and judgment was not something that we would all face apart from Christ, Jesus would be worth coming to and drawing near to just because of who he is and just because of the fact that he is better. And that's what I want you to focus on as, you, as we close our time today. The name of the series is not Hell is Worse. It's Jesus is Better. The name of the series is not Everything else that you're clinging to is worse. But it's looking at it from the positive side that Jesus is better, infinitely better than we could ever imagine. And that he is altogether lovely and altogether wonderful and altogether worth drawing near to and doing so with confidence, knowing that he cares for us, that he loves sinners like you and like me. And even as Pastor Aaron explained to the kids that gift exchange was first modeled for us between God and us. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The greatest gift exchange of all time. We receive Jesus Christ's perfect righteousness, his perfect record, the closeness that he has with God the Father, all of those things, on top of the fact that he loves us and likes us and cares for us, we receive that. That's the gift we unwrap and open and we give to Jesus our sins, our unrighteousness, our shortcomings, our longings, our desires, all the disappointments, all the things that we experience in this world. We give to Jesus and lay it on him 
and he takes it up on his back. He bears our burdens, and we receive his gift of eternal life. He gives us the mercy and grace we need in our time of need. We don't come to Christ just to escape judgment. That's certainly part of it, and that certainly is true. But it's not the only reason we come to Christ. We'd come to Jesus because Jesus is better, and that's why we can be strong when we're weak. And even in the face of pain and temptation and suffering and trials, we have peace and joy in Jesus Christ. And so I want to ask our worship team to come forward, and I want to challenge you to think through these things on this Christmas, uh, Christmas service. What about you? If you've been with us the past several weeks, we've been focusing on the fact that Jesus is better. Jesus is better. And he certainly is. He's a much better priest than we could ever experience, a much better mediator than we could ever experience. Because he feels all the things that you feel. Because he knows where you are right now. Is there something that stands between you and Jesus Christ that deep down inside you really think is better? You cling to it for peace. You cling to it for security. Really believing deep down in your heart that Jesus is good. He might be really good, but he doesn't offer me the security that she offers me. He doesn't offer me the peace that he offers me. He doesn't offer me the, uh, the, 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 the sleep and the, 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 thing, the, the peace that I experience as I put my head on the pillow that my portfolio offers me. doesn't offer me the same high that that offers me. just isn't as sweet, isn't as nice, isn't as dependable as someone that I can see, something that I can touch. Friend, I would encourage you to acknowledge the truth that Jesus is truly better and that he loves us and died for sinners just like you and me and that walking with him and having a relationship with him will be the greatest experience of your life both in this life and the next. And if you know not this Savior, Romans 10 and verse 9 tells us that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You can experience this starting right here and right now. You can look to God and say, I believe. I'm putting all my eggs in this one basket called Jesus Christ. I believe that he is better. And you know what? I'm going to take him to the bank on that. I'm going to put all of my trust, everything that I have, all of my confidence in this one person of Jesus Christ, believing that he is better, that he is worthwhile, and that he cares for people like you and like me this Christmas because Jesus is better. And for those of us who know the Lord and are walking with the Lord, we are reminded that our Savior 
continues to bless us, continues to pour out his mercy and grace. The book of Ephesians says he lavishes his grace upon us. And so we draw near to him in our time of need because he cares for us. Jesus is better. Father in heaven, we come before you grateful for your word, grateful for the great high priest that we have in Jesus Christ, who is infinitely better than anything we could ever imagine or do on our own. Thank you for your compassion and your love and for caring for us, not only for providing the rescue that we need, but for also showing us that you truly are altogether lovely and worthy and wonderful and faithful to your people. Grant now that we might remember these truths that we might hold them close to our hearts and that the truth of your word would cause us to draw near to you, Christ, with confidence because of who you are, what you've done, and what you promised us. You are better and we love you. Lord, save souls today. Would you arrest the hearts of your people, calling them close to you? Perhaps for the very first time may they experience the joy of Christmas that comes with knowing and loving the Christ child. Be with us, we pray, and save for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.